is well with my soul. Sometimes when I'm singing this song, it's like I want to take that truth and I want to just push it and fuse it into the inward parts of myself and my soul. Because sometimes I also look around and I know those people that are singing it from the overflow of their heart. You know those people, the ones who are sitting in the midst of their storm. Maybe they've been diagnosed with cancer and in the midst of receiving chemotherapy or radiation, they're able to just have a beautiful smile on their face and say, it is well with my soul. You know, I have a, some friends who uh, quite a while ago now, but they lost a child, a stillborn birth, and never got to meet their child. And yet on their blog and on their social media posts, they said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And right now, I've actually been following uh, as my sister gives me updates on my dad because currently he has something in his foot that he has to have a procedure to get it out, and so it's painful. And over the last couple years, he's been having eye troubles. There was an amoeba that got stuck in it, and there was an ulcer. And, and just over this last week, it started uh, to act up. And now his, both of his eyes, he's in an extreme pain. When he, when he sees the light. And so he's been going to the, the medical professionals and just throughout the night, he's, he's there at midnight and he's in the midst of his pain and then on his way out, um, heading home, uh, they go to the place where they had valet parking and they lost his keys. So they're sitting there in the middle of this, like waiting on the, the medical professionals to, to figure out where their keys are and they can't find them. So it, it, midnight turns to two in the morning and the hospital ends up deciding to just buy, you know, pay for them to take an Uber from the hospital to my sister's house. And so my sister is texting and saying, you know, dad, we're in the middle of this Uber and he's telling the Uber driver about Jesus. In the midst of his pain, he's still able to say, it is well with my soul. What's the secret? How, are, how do we get to the place where we are able to have that phrase overflow from our soul? You know, it's my privilege today to continue in our series on the Gospel of Mark. And as we read through the Gospel of Mark, it seems like Jesus has a secret too. It seems like he's, he entered a series of wilderness wanderings with 40 days, no food, no drink, and he comes out the other side, and he's ready to grab a whole bunch of followers. It's like that didn't even happen. You know, there are all these people that are, that are sending rumors around about him. People think that he's demonic or some type of crazy fanatic. Even the religious and the political leaders are trying to scheme against him. And yet there's this calmness, this confidence that Jesus has. What's his secret? And as we open up to the book of Mark chapter 8 today, I think that John Mark in his gospel is finally unveiling the secret. And today I would love to share with you three secrets of the kingdom of God 
And these secrets might be very familiar to you, but my prayer and my hope is that you can receive these secrets of the kingdom and you can allow them to permeate into your soul as an anchor in the times of the storms. But I'm not trusting my own wisdom to tell you these secrets. I'm gonna just pray and ask that the Lord and the spirit of the living God would help you to receive these secrets and let them become an anchor for your soul. Let's pray. Father God, King Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be present with us right now. And as we read your holy scriptures and you make the truth real to us, Jesus, that your spirit would sink down these secrets, these mysteries of your kingdom into the depths of our soul that can become anchors for us in the time of storm. I pray this in Jesus' name and in the power of his spirit. Amen. So a few months back, um, I was hanging out with my two little nephews, a four and a five-year-old, and they live in Colorado Springs, and I love to go spend time with them. And they are both learning the ways of the world, you know, and the ways of actually secret telling. My little nephew, my four-year-old nephew, David, he was really enjoying this. And so he, he jumps up on my lap and he gets really close into my ear. And you know where they get so close that they're tickling like the hair on your earlobes <laughs> and you can hardly hear what they have to say. And David says, Auntie Monica, I want to tell you a secret. And he says, do you like candy? Do you like candy? Yeah, yeah, David, I like candy. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to tell you another secret. He says, he says, do you like coffee? I loved coffee. How did you know? <laughs> and as I was preparing for this message, I felt like the Lord reminded me that sometimes his secrets come in the form of a question. Sometimes he lets us discover the secrets by just probing and asking. And so we're going to see several questions today. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. Here we have Jesus, and he's walking on the road with his disciples. And they're in the middle of the earthly kingdom. Here they're walking in Caesarea Philippi. So this is a place where Philip, the great, went back and reestablished this place to be a place of the kingdom of the world. It was like Rome had the whole, they wanted to show how amazing they were. And so they, he made like a little Caesarea. <laughs> and he dominated and wanted everyone to know that this was the center of, of the kingdoms of this world. And in the middle of this kingdom of the world, a place that Rome had its fingerprint. Jesus starts to whisper his questions, whisper his secrets. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others prophets. The secret revolves around who do you say that I am? If Jesus were to whisper that to you, I'm wondering how you might answer him. 
in the reading of the Gospel of Mark, in this case, we should know who Jesus is. That's actually not a secret to us. Mark 1.1 says, the beginning of the good news, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He comes right out of the gate and says, this is Jesus. He's Messiah. He's the Christos, the anointed one, the one that is to come. We should know who Jesus is when we come to this question. But as you can see, the way that the disciples answer him, there are lots of rumors around of who Jesus is. The crowds have rumors. They're saying, oh, this guy, he's pretty cool. He'll heal you. Maybe we should go check it out. And they're trying to figure out where is his power and his authority coming from? The rumors are spreading, and, the, and they're trying to figure it out. Even the political leaders and the, and the religious leaders are trying to figure it out. They don't know who he is. They don't know where his power is coming from. Many of them are accusing him of, of being even having demonic powers. And then a couple weeks ago, remember, Josh talked about the fact that even Jesus' family hadn't a clue. He wasn't even received in his hometown. And now his disciples are also not having a clue. Just a few verses before, uh, we have in, in verse 18, 17 and 18, 19, you know, do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do your eyes uh, fail to see and your ears fail to hear? Don't you remember? Verse 21, do you still not understand? They're supposed to understand the secret, but they don't get it. So finally, Jesus takes it a step further, and he's like, okay, that's what people say that I am. But he turns to his disciples and say, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. Hooray! He finally gets it. The mystery is revealed. Peter, one of the disciples, the disciples finally get it. We reach this point in the middle, in the hinge passage, in the, in the gospel of Mark where they get it. And Jesus says, that's not the only part of my secret. There's more. It's not just that Jesus is Savior or the anointed one come to save, but he begins to speak to them plainly, it says. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he will be killed. After that three days rise again, this is the secret. The secret is that Jesus is the suffering Savior. And maybe you need to hear that today. That's a seed of the secret of the kingdom of God. That Jesus is not the kind of God that comes blaring and blasting in and says, you need to believe me, you need to do X, Y, and Z, you need to follow the rules like we talked about and somehow make your way to figure out how to be good enough to reach me. Instead, Jesus willingly, voluntarily comes and says, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to suffer, be rejected, 
I'm going to experience the pain and the agony, the suffering, the grief. And maybe you need to hear, your soul needs to be reminded of that secret today. But sometimes this, we don't like to resonate with a suffering Savior. I mean, imagine if you were in a dire situation. Maybe you were in an accident, and somebody comes to save you, to help you, to rescue you, and they come bloody and beaten and frail, pierced. Does that look like someone who can save? I don't know if I'd have a whole lot of confidence if, if my EMT, you know, has a bloody nose and is like keeling over, suffering. And you know, this, this was difficult for, for Peter as well. With, the, with his Jewish lens, he didn't want to receive a suffering Savior. In fact, that was very unexpected. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom, that the kingdom is near, and that he's going to reestablish himself, Peter's like, yeah, I'm in. Let's reestablish this kingdom. Let's set up Let's set up our power and authority and let's take back what is good. Let's set the prisoners and the captives free and the oppressed and let's make and set up a new kingdom. He didn't want to hear that Jesus was coming to suffer. And of course, he responds very adamantly. He took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him. This is a very strong word. He's correcting Jesus, saying that's not a true secret. No, 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 no. This word rebuke is to forbid. No, I forbid you from saying that you're going to suffer. No, you're the king of kings. You're the Messiah. That doesn't make any sense. Wait, what? Man, how often in our lives do we want to do the same thing to Jesus? When our lives are going on and we hit a moment and we think, wait, what? You want my story to include what? Maybe it's a health diagnosis that you never saw coming and Jesus changes your story. Maybe it's difficulty in your relationships and, and it's a divorce that you're looking at. Maybe it's those places that you don't want to go, like finances. Or maybe your life has just taken a transition and it's not gone the way that you expected it to go. Or even in your life with God, in your journey with God, you're hitting a wall and, and he's silent for you. And you think, wait, what? No, I forbid it. I don't want this in my life. I think sometimes our rebuke comes in the form of anger. We're frustrated. Sometimes it comes in the form of resistance. No way, Jesus, I'm not going there. Sometimes it comes in avoidance. And I think that sometimes we do the exact same thing like Peter does. And we want to say, no, Jesus, this isn't my story. And we start to listen to 
a different kind of whisper. A whisper that says, did God really say that you have to go through this? Did God really say that this is going to be your new story? And that whisper, that has started a long time before this moment. Because that whisper has originated from the pit of hell. Satan himself is the one who said, did God really say not to eat of the tree? And that whisper has been over and over and over in, in many of our stories. And in Peter, I think this is what he was whispering. And Jesus, he saw straight through it. And he turns to Peter in a very dramatic way. John Mark says that he turns and he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the mind, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter is listening to the lie of the enemy. And in this moment, Jesus pulls back the curtain and says, this is a war. And it is not between Jesus and Peter. It is a war between Jesus and Satan. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces. And so in this moment, as Jesus turns to, to Peter, Jesus is calling him out. And I love how this Russian novelist says that the battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every human. You see, Peter has just gotten it right. He said, Jesus, you're the Messiah. I get it. We're in. I'm going to follow you. And then he says, no way. I'm not going to follow you. Did God really say you have to suffer? No way. And he is tangled in between his story of good and evil. And I think this is where we often stand. And sometimes when Jesus turns to us and he shows us and reveals to us those places that we are listening to the whispers of the evil one, we think, that's painful. Ouch. Ouch, that helps. Because Maybe, just maybe, Jesus wants us to be released from those places that we're believing the lies. And it's not that we're a victim of Jesus' confrontation, but it's that we are a participant in his life. And Jesus keeps going on because he wants people to understand what this invitation is, the invitation from the suffering Savior. And so he not only grabs his disciples, he grabs the crowd. This is so important that he wants more people to know. He calls them in and says, whomever, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to participate in this journey and even in the struggle, you must deny they must deny themselves, 
take up their cross and follow me. This is like the cornerstone of discipleship. It's what we call it in the Christian world. Man, volumes have been written on this, and I am not going to even be bold enough to, to tell you much about it, but I do think that some of us need to hear that the secret and the, invi the secret invitation from the suffering Savior is to voluntarily surrender in solidarity with Jesus. This invitation is a voluntary action. That means we are free to decide that we, will, we can surrender. That's like the most free thing that we can do is to get to volunteer ourselves to say yes to God. And the type of yes that Jesus wants and is inviting is a yes to surrender. It's like bowing down before a king and we have no idea what he's going to do to us. And if we bow down our head, he might just slice off <laughs> our head. Or we can trust him that he's good and that he will bless us for surrendering to him. This invitation is solidarity. I love this word because it's union. It's we're in this together. Union with Jesus, the suffering Savior. So we voluntarily surrender in solidarity with Jesus. But sometimes this also doesn't resonate with us. And we really want to push back on this type of full life, voluntary surrender. That's because we're in the middle of the tension between good and evil. And Jesus' heart is so for us in this instance. Where he says, if you want to actually save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life, you'll save it. He wants to give us hope in this, but sometimes we wrestle with what this really means. And then on top of that, in our, in our Christian world, in our Christian world, sometimes we misapply what Jesus means by this. Have you ever heard someone say that they're denying themselves? And they say, I don't want to be selfish by asking people for what I need. Maybe you've heard somebody say like, well, I don't really want to be prideful and, and like put my gifts out there. I think those are ways that we have misapplied denying ourselves. Because Jesus never said that we're to deny the goodness inside of us. He has created us in his image. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have a God-given calling. It says in Ephesians 2 that we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. If Jesus were to deny the goodness within him and his God-given calling, we would never have the cross. And so we don't deny ourselves anything that is good. We actually offer ourselves. That's part of it. And it's not out... It's not sacrifice out of, I want you to pity me, oh, I'm denying myself, or to get some accolades or self-advancement. Sometimes we do that, and we have these weird things in the kingdom of God where we think we're following Jesus, and then 
it's really about us. And it's about me feeling like a good Christian. No. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And even him, as creator of the universe, said, this is tough. Can you just take this away? God, I don't want to go through with the suffering. In his flesh, he was crying out. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. This is denying self. This is saying, it's not my way. It's your way, God. And your way is to deny the tangle of the evil within me. Because if I deny that, the, the sin that so easily entangles me, I can actually, I can set it aside and I can run in flourishing in the way of Jesus. If I deny that I'm short-sighted, I'm only human and I'm, I have a limited capacity that I need God to, to, to trust in God and align with his ways. I can say, God, it's not, I don't know the full picture, but you do. I can deny that I know the way. And it's a voluntary self-sacrifice. For This word deny is kind of self-forgetfulness or forgetting. It's like whatever is in front of me is so much more important than my thing and myself that I'm almost forgetting myself so that I can move toward what is good and love a God who loves me. I think we do the same thing when it comes to this metaphor of taking up our cross. We deny ourselves, we let it go, we let something go in order to take up the cross. But sometimes we do the same thing with this metaphor of the cross because we look on Jesus and we see that this is a heavy weight. It's a burden. It's a hardship. He's suffering. He's going through self or total rejection and pain and agony. And sometimes we think that our burden needs to feel like pain and agony, and it needs to feel like condemnation. Sometimes we want to, for the reason of being good Christians and good disciples of Jesus, we get weighed down by shame and hardship and the enemy's lies of condemnation. That is not what Jesus says. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The burden or the carrying our, our cross should not be the, the type of weight that oppresses. For Jesus, he was obeying his Father and he was obeying with the strength of the Spirit within him. So, taking up our cross is not suffering under condemnation. It's also not taking up somebody else's burden. Because how often do we do that? We think, oh, this is, this is life, and this is hard, and I'm going to be a good Christian, and I'm going to help you carry your burden. But then it starts to push me down. And sometimes I think we carry burdens that are not ours to carry. Not that we don't carry other people's burdens. I think we do. But sometimes it's not what God's called us to, to take up. 
And sometimes we make that kind of hardship an excuse to not do what God has maybe really asked us to do. I have a dear friend who I worked with on the mission field, and she was going through a period where she was under this kind of weight and shame and pain and oppression. And she started, she said, this is her cross to carry. And she started reading the voices of the martyrs, and she was finding solace and solidarity with them. But really what she needed to do was deny her fear that she might have something wrong chemically in her body. That she was so afraid of being embarrassed by having her story be one of mental illness that she continued to, to hold under the weight of the pain. Instead of denying the things that were inside of her that stopped her from saying, yes, God, I will embrace a new story. And it might be embarrassing to me. And it might be difficult, but I will take that up for you and your kingdom. And I can't tell you what, you're, what you need to deny and what you need to take up. Because in every one of our stories, it's different. Of course, we want to deny those things, the sin that easily entangles us. And we need to choose the way of Jesus. But sometimes we're in situations where two people are in the exact situation, and it's different for them. One person, they might be in the situation of being in a work environment that is not fulfilling, not satisfying, and they don't know what to do. And for one person, it might be, you need to stop fearing that God won't provide if you step out and step into your call. Maybe you need to trust him that he will provide financially and he will carry you even though you don't know what's ahead. Where the other person might need to die to their unforgiveness, their struggles with their boss. Maybe they need to sharpen their character as they love the people that are in their working environment and God will turn that around to have them be a witness within their working environment. So for every one of you, I can't tell you what you need to deny and what you need to take up. But I can tell you that the secret of the Jesus way is to endure this kind of hardship with purpose, suffering with hope, and using Jesus' strength to sustain you as you obey his call to voluntarily surrender in solidarity with him. And maybe you need to hear that today, that you need to re-up your commitment to surrender your life, to give it up freely to the Lord. And oftentimes in this season, right before Easter, we, we take part in a journey called Lent. And this is a good way to to actually strengthen our solidarity with him, to, to recommit to voluntarily giving our lives to him by setting aside some things that we're intentionally denying in order that we might take up the banner of Christ yet again. And we know that there are people throughout church history who have done this very thing, 
who have denied themselves and taken up their cross and even to the point of their death. I think about the Apostle Paul as he's sitting in prison and he's saying, I count it all joy to take up my cross, to endure hardship and pain. I think of those who are, uh, I was reading this book this last week called The Seeds of the Martyrs. These two women stood out to me, Perpetua and Felicity, who had just given birth to newborn babies. And even though they could have chosen saving their babies and raising them and being a wonderful mother, they said, yes, I am a Christian. And they were sentenced to the stadium where they were attacked by wild boars and, and speared to death by gladiators in the name of Christ. We have this happening all over our world, whether it's a Columbine shooting, execution in the Middle East, or globally, believers who are saying, yes, I believe. And they are becoming martyrs. That word means to witness for the sake of the gospel. Now, how in the world do you get that kind of resolve to fully surrender, voluntarily surrender, even to the point of death. I know there are so many of you, I mean, I think, Jesus, why are you making me talk about suffering? I can look out and I can see that many of you have experienced and walked some heavy roads. And I'm thinking, how do I get that kind of resolve to walk like the people here at South Fellowship and those that have gone before me? And I think, Yes, it is voluntary surrender to the way of Jesus, but there's another secret that if we miss, we might just crush under the weight of condemnation. And that secret is that there is glory on the other side of our pain. Mark does, John Mark does not stop with you just need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He keeps going. And as we read into chapter 9 of the book of Mark, verse 2, after six days, Jesus, he took Peter and James and John with him. They went up to a high mountain where they were all alone. And I want you to imagine this in your mind's eye, that he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared with him Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. This interaction of the heavenly realms coming to the earth. Verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Jesus showed off his glory. And this was not the end. It was a promise of what was to come. A promise that there would be a hope of glory on the other side. I love how Paul says it, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And this is one of these secrets that maybe today your heart needs to be reminded of. 
that glory is on the other side of the pain. The pain is temporary, and the glory will be eternal. So this is what we look forward to, and this is why we're willing to voluntarily surrender our lives, because that is the way that we save our souls. We can't gain anything in this world, whether it is power and wealth or influence. None of that will save our souls. But trusting that these secrets and mysteries of the kingdom will ground us, will anchor us in the time of storm. And one of the best practices I think that we can do as believers and followers of Jesus is to be strengthened by the practice of communion. That this is a practice where we are claiming in our hearts and we are receiving elements like bread and juice in our bodies. And we are saying, Jesus, we want these mysteries of the kingdom to become so integrated inside of us, just like bread and juice, that they might flow out of us. And so I think that this practice of communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever you call it, would be a practice that can remind us of the solidarity that we have with Jesus. That as you come and you receive these elements, maybe you're receiving the fact that Jesus is the suffering Savior. That he's close to the brokenhearted because he knows your pain. Maybe this secret that you need to treasure as you receive communion is that this is a recommitment, a recommitment to voluntarily give up and surrender our whole lives in solidarity with Jesus, knowing that we're doing it with him, not alone. And maybe you need to be reminded that there's something, there's glory on the other side of the pain. And that you can go through this pain knowing that it is temporary. And that glory is what Jesus bought for you. He, he victoriously rose from the dead to purchase that victory so that you can say, it is well with your soul.